Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where our goal is to help you find health and community through movement. I'm Molly Herford, a writer, coach, and yoga teacher. And I'm Peter Glassford, an endurance coach and kinesiologist. Every week, we're talking to athletes and experts who can help you lead your best active, adventurous life. Whether you're a gravel racer, a marathon runner, or you just got out on your first bike ride yesterday, we're here cheering you on. You can also visit us online at consummateathlete.com for coaching information and training tips, nutrition advice, yoga flows, bike skills, and more. And now, let's get into this week's episode hello hello welcome back to the consummate athlete podcast peter how's it going good as always happy to be here yeah really excited for today's episode yes and for the fact that spring is finally coming it feels like everyone's actually able to get back outside and and training um on that you you've been riding outside so before we get into today's guest any tips for that uh, transition from the trainer to the road it's a big topic yeah it's, it's hard for a lot of folks to sort of get take those first steps so i mean the first order of business is to get out there and, and enjoy it you know if, if you are sort of coming from indoors to outdoors that's first you just have to do it and it doesn't have to be the best ride of the year or the biggest ride of the year or the fastest ride of the year it's often just you know just even testing out the bike you're probably going to be adjusting it so when you can get out I like it. Uh, and that actually does lead into today's guest. We have Matt Dixon, the world-renowned uh, endurance coach. Triathlon his, is his main focus. Specifically, he was a former uh, pro triathlete himself. Ironman is sort of his specialty. Uh, he runs the Purple Patch Coaching Company uh, and the Purple Patch Podcast. Say that 10 times fast. He actually later gets into like purple patch pillars of purpose or something. So it's it's very impressive how that just rolls off the tongue for him. Um, but uh, a lot of what we talk about today is this idea of being a time-crunched endurance athlete. So specifically, I was asking him, you know, a lot of his clients, he has a lot of pro athletes, but he also coaches a lot of busy executive types, just busy people who have very full lives outside of sport. And I, my question to him is, how do you train for Ironman with a nine to five, with family commitments, uh, with all those things, which is, you know, not unlike a lot of your clients are dealing with training for, say, Leadville, uh, sure. with nine I to mean, fives and I, families. Ironman, though, is a special, special beast for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, a lot of people are struggling to find time. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people over the winter get really used to the trainer and how much time it takes. And I think when you shift back to riding outside, there's a lot of things that you suddenly have to re-remember and like account for, right? Setting up your bike for outside, checking your tire pressure, mm -hmm. maybe attaching fenders and lights and making sure that stuff's charged, uh, you know, making sure your computer's charged because you might Br not have been using yeah, it. Yeah, bringing food and tools is a reminder Ooh, I can... Yeah. Given, yeah, yeah, because it's inevitably, you know, it's you're out longer and all of a sudden you're getting tired and you need fuel and you didn't think to bring fuel because usually the kitchen's right there or you haven't been fueling at all during indoor season. And then, yeah, the, the flats and the mechanicals. And that's not even mentioning the what to wear and then the bike cleaning after, especially in the spring slush time. So, you know, the, the fact though is, so sure, riding outside takes longer, but guess what? If you're racing outside, you do need to ride outside in order to actually do well at that race. So the trainer might have its its great times during the week. Maybe that does help you get through a busy moment. But, you know, and Matt and I talk about this, you do have to do the do the thing that you want to do in the race. Right. Yeah. All those other things like the balancing on the bicycle mm -hmm. is a, the one I always remind people that we want to balance a little yeah. bit, too. Yeah. And Matt and I also had a really good chat. Uh, we've been talking about goals a lot on this podcast. And we talked about the idea of before you even come up with your race specific goals, kind of having a purpose for your life overall and sport. And then goals can kind of come from that. Sounds easy. Yeah, yeah. super easy. It's like, <laughs> oh, no. Um, and we've talked about this. We had a great episode uh, talking about finding your your values and sort of having value with Josie based. Perry. Yeah. Yep. We, and we love that values post. We have a post too that uh, references one of hers, uh, but yeah, that she had mm -hmm. the big list of values. I think that that is a good concept. I think it sort of helps make some of these decisions a little easier. I don't know if there anything's easy with this stuff. But. No, no. And the last thing we talk about, I think you you'll appreciate a lot, Peter, is the idea that you know he started as a coach 25 years ago. So I got to ask, what have you changed as a coach? Uh, and we just we talked about the fact that what was you know, almost like definite sports science 25 years ago is uh, stuff we kind of giggle about now. Uh, and, you know, to, to be a good coach, you do need to be ever evolving and, you know, continuously keeping an eye on the new stuff that's coming out, changing, you know, changing your approach to things and trying new things out, which I really liked. 
Yeah, there's a bit of newness. I would say there's also a lot of the same old stuff. Well, that <laughs> was the other that was the other works, side of the coin, and we did touch on that. He's like, well, a lot of the stuff actually is the same. I do think about Joe Friel talking about faxing and mailing yeah. his training plans to his athletes, so they would send back their comments via mail. Oh I do gosh. think about things have changed in, <laughs> from that perspective a yes, little bit. Definitely. This instant, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well. Anyway, uh, I think we should get to it. So everyone enjoy this episode with Matt Dixon. If you like it, definitely go over it and check out his podcast, the Purple Patch Podcast for so many great triathlon episodes. All right, enjoy. Matt Dixon, welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I am so excited to actually have like your voice on our podcast since I'm so used to listening to yours. <laughs> well, thanks so much for inviting me on. I'm sure it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So you are obviously a coach in addition to being the host of the Purple Patch podcast, um, which, geez, have you ever tried to say that 10 times fast? I'm actually just impressed with myself for getting through that once. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But give us give us sort of your backstory. How did you end up in this this whole coaching business? And judging by your accent, you are also not uh, not native Californian here. I am not a Yankee poodle. No, I'm I'm English originally, although uh, plenty of Americans confuse me for Australian. But um, so my my educational background is clinical physiology. But uh, but I, I wouldn't really say I'm a physiologist now because I I finished my master's degree in the early 2000s, late late 90s actually. Uh, but my background originally was swimming. I swam at a at a high level. I, I did not make the Olympic team despite trying. And uh, and then I the first sort of coaching thing that I did was was swimming coaching and uh, and I was very lucky I coached a a very good club team in, based in Cincinnati and then doing my masters I started coaching in college for swimming and that's where I found triathlon I did a triathlon as a bat and the truth hey, is wait, what I was am the bat that oh it was just a um, a bet amongst the other coaches of whether I could complete and um, <laughs> and I didn't just complete I competed so uh, no it was a lot of fun it was the Kiowa Island Triathlon down in uh, in uh, in the Carolinas and uh, anyway I I I think I'm a, after a year or two of racing amateur I'm a prime example of how to do a professional triathlon career very poorly. And uh, and that was really because I took the work ethic as a, of a swimmer that I had with some very poor coaching and thought, goodness me, if I had to train 25 hours, 25 hours a week of swimming to get ready for an event that was two to four out two to four minutes, how long do I need to train to get ready for an Ironman? And um, the reason I bring that up is I, I basically drove myself into the ground, uh, things like sleep recovery nutrition strength at that time when i was doing the sport were relegated to mere afterthoughts i certainly had some pretty bad habits around there and uh, and yeah I, I drove myself into chronic fatigue and the reason that that is i think really important for the listeners is that was a seminal moment for me that was a a time where i started to coach triathletes and i looked at the landscape of both the elite level of the sport, but also the amateur level, and just saw a massive symptom of underperformance. And and I really decided to coach in a, at the time, very much against the grain of the norm. And I put in an equal playing field, recovery as much as hard work, habits around nutrition and fueling and hydration as important as the swim, bike and run training that these athletes were doing. Uh, so much so that I got labelled the recovery coach, uh, not not in a very pleasant way. But yeah, it was a time nowadays people think of recovery as just an accepted part of endurance training, but at the time it was thought of as weakness, and I was labelled as a as a as a shill and a quack. But but the re- <laughs> results started to uh, speak for themselves, and um, and I think I, my timing was very good. I was on the front part of the change of endurance sports in many ways. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, I love that. Uh, the recovery coach, like what a great, you're like, thank you for that. I'm going to put that on my business card. It's perfect. Well, I started to, <laughs> exactly. I, I decided to own it. And now it's like, Hey, if I get labeled it, but, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it's an important part of a, a part that requires bravery for athletes, but an important mm-hmm. part for anyone to thrive, whether they're trying to win a world championship or, 
or just uh, integrate fitness into their life. Mm -hmm. Now, this makes me, hearing your story kind of makes me ask like a very strange question. Um, can someone skip the step of training poorly for triathlon or for any, any endurance sport? Cause I feel like there's almost like, as you're telling your story, I'm like, that's exactly what happened to me when I started training for Ironman back in the day. And I think there's almost this, like, you almost need to have like a bit of a bad training experience in some ways to get to the, oh, maybe I need to train with a, a different coach or, you know, find a better plan that works for me. Do you think someone can actually just come in and do it healthy, just like from the gun? If they are um, pragmatic, smart, and I think most importantly, coachable. So the, for, for anyone to do anything really seriously in life, they will benefit from a coach. And I know that I stand up here and say that as a coach, so it, it sounds like a, a promotional thing, but it's really not. Whether it's building a business, whether it's um, trying to be a great musician, whether it's trying to be a great athlete, or, or your best version of your yourself in your athletics, having someone that can help you, that's been there before, that's guided people, that can help you get your head out of the room for some perspective is, is unbelievably valuable. And so, so it can be done. And we actually, I've had a lot of examples of people that have entered the sport, but the more common is exactly as you say, uh, Molly, is to go down this cul-de-sac of failure in a way and come out of it. And, and the unfortunate thing is many people don't uh, find a better way and they either exist there and the sport becomes a second job, a monkey on the back, or they just quit and they go back to randomness and they just think, I can't fit it into life. And they walk around fit and fatigued or, or just frustrated or they go into declining health because they, they go back to random, which isn't good either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I want to come back to the health, but I just want to ask, like, do you have any tips for someone who is trying to do this, like be coachable, training on a plan, doing all that, but they're surrounded by people who are always doing that, like, extra couple miles or the random training and like trying to kind of bring you along for the ride. Cause I think, uh, you know, that's, that's where I, I struggle the most is like, Oh, like we're going on a 56 K run this weekend. Why don't you come? And I'm like, Oh, but I only have 30 K and I'd like to do that. But I realize it's, a, you know, it's really hard to turn those down. And gosh, how many cyclists do you see who have like six group rides per week that they'd like to do? And like maybe a weekly race thrown in there on the seventh day, et cetera. Like, how do we, how do we manage that? <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the ten tension between social and specificity, mm. and uh, so I think one part of it is to to ensure that you have whoever is going to be your mentor or guide or coach looks at things in the bigger picture, because on the other side of the coin, you don't want any sport you're doing, whether it's cycling, triathlon, training for a marathon, training for life. You don't want to lead a, a monk's existence where it's so dogmatic that you're not allowed to have a little bit of freedom and license to go and do some adventures and some fun. And so I think that both who is guiding you, whether you're guiding yourself or, or, or a coach, and actually empowering yourself to be brave enough to say, hey, these are the key things that I've got to get done every week. These are the key sessions, and they sort of can't bend too much these are these are the elements but also having a little bit of flex in the program to go and have fun and if you do choose to go and do something maybe a little bit crazy then okay that's great but then don't fall back onto your training program that you originally had planned with your key track session the next morning or whatever it might be and say i've got to do that because that's what was written in gold life is not a spreadsheet and so, so I think that those things are workable if you have, uh, I've said this word already, but pragmatism, big picture perspective, and a little bit of bravery to make smart ongoing decisions. And, and I'll add one thing, sorry to ramble, but- Oh, I love it. <laughs> a, a great coach, let's define what a great coach is. It is not about prescribing a magic plan. The great, the great coach is really, yes, it sets up the strategy, and yes, they prescribe a program, but really great coaching is empowering the athlete, asking them the right questions at the right time, 
and helping them course correct when things go wrong or if they do go off and do some fun stuff like a 56k run, course correct and come up for perspective. And that's that's what makes an athlete successful. Mm-hmm. And so it, as soon as the coach, I, I, I jokingly in my very sort of irreverent English way say, you know, I'm the coach, so I'm daddy. And of course, it's <laughs> that sounds that sounds terrible, doesn't it? But, <laughs> it? Sounds better when you're saying it to someone. But um, but the point is is exactly the antithesis of that. Where in fact it is, if I was coaching you, it is you that is under control. It is up to you, and my job or the program's job is to create a guide, a framework for you to operate in to make smart decisions and be successful. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. Um, and can you speak just a little bit on, you mentioned the word health, um, sort of that idea of like health versus performance and sort of where, where the balance is and how as a coach, I mean, depending on the athlete you're working with, the balance is going to shift, right? Yeah, I, I would argue that high performance is built on a platform of health. Mm. And as soon as we talk about, let's first define performance, because uh, as soon as we say performance, people tend to get pulled into, I need to go and nail my upcoming race. And that's great. And of course, we want to, you know, we want you to nail the upcoming race. But the truth is real performance, where real results come layered over time. So I like the word sustainable performance, longevity. How do you create the capacity to go and really continue to improve as an athlete, whatever level you are, year on year on year, and where you point the program relative to the specific events can be really different in a year, but hopefully they build on top of each other. And so sustainable performance is really important. And for for an athlete to create performance predictability, in other words, show up and be improved and have the best race results they possibly can, by definition, that has to come from a platform of health. And so when you build a program, for a short time you might get away from things that get away with things that are technically unhealthy. You can have an athlete that can race well that might actually be unhealthy for a short period of time, but ultimately they're gonna break. They're gonna break systemically or they're gonna break from a musculoskeletal standpoint. Why not? take the longer lens, build a platform of health that requires enough recovery, enough sleep, proper habits and nutrition. That doesn't mean you need to eat like a monk, but can be really basic but important things that support health. And then create a training program that for a professional athlete, you can continue to absorb and adapt in a positive way so that you can get fitter, stronger, more powerful from a normal amateur person who is time starved, a program that can integrate into life so that you can continue to improve, but also not decline your performance across the, what I would argue the more important, how you show up as a mother or father, how you show up to work, what your health is like, etc. Integrate and find that, that's really what solution is. So. I don't like to break apart health and performance. I think that health is a prerequisite of sustainable long-term performance. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, and okay, so we've mentioned recovery. We've mentioned all of this this stuff around health and you know being a healthy like overall human. Uh, how the heck do you do that while training for Ironman? Um, you know, a lot of a lot of your clients aren't necessarily. You have plenty of pro Ironmans, Ironmen, Ironmans, um, who are doing this as, as their career, but you're also working with the guy who's working nine to five or the, the mom who's also working 60 hour weeks. How the hell do you blend all of that together and still make it healthy? What's a great question. It's, uh, we, we, we have learned and evolved and grown over many, many years now, but, but I think the first thing is understanding the sport. So it is easier to build a program for a single sport, bike racing, for example, or bike riding or training for a marathon, because you've only got one real lever to pull there. It's all about, okay, intensity more than anything. And of course, duration of training. Triathlon though, one of the big mistakes that triathletes make 
is they think about it as swimming, cycling and running. Goodness me, now we've got three sports. You don't, you have one sport. You have one sport that happens to have three disciplines in it. And so the first thing is leveraging the three different disciplines to work with each other in a synchronized fashion. So I'll give you an example on that. Running is quite corrosive. It's the highest, it's weight bearing, a lot of force going into the ground. And so we want to build muscular resilience and cardiovascular conditioning through running, but we don't want an athlete to get injured. The nice thing is in swimming where 90% of your weight is displaced, you can actually do a whole bunch of cardiovascular conditioning and high, high intensity without negative consequences. So thinking about, and that, that's a bigger answer, and you can ask me more about that if you want, but understanding the sport and how the, the disciplines work together is one thing. The second thing, which is the more important thing and gets to the crux of the answer, is how do you build a program as an athlete or a coach for a triathlete who is time starved? Here's what quote, everyone does, which is, for lack of a better phrase, stupid. And that is to have a predetermined weekly number of hours that the media or your friends down the street have told you you must do to be successful. And if you ask most triathletes, how many hours do you have a week do you have to train for an Ironman? Most of them will say 20 hours. Well, that's great. And is correct in some ways, but it's also 30 hours or 40 hours or 50 hours if you can integrate it into life and if your body can absorb it and adapt. I don't have 20 hours to train and nor do most people. So instead, I prefer to go from the other end of the, um, of the equation. And let's look at, this is something applicable or, or something um, practical and tangible that listeners can take. Let's look at your life landscape any given week. Okay, what are the non-negotiable commitments? You've got your work commitments, you've got maybe your commute as that's coming back this, these, these days. You've got your family commitments, maybe you coach Johnny's baseball on a Wednesday night, whatever it is. And that's all of those, and you, pl you plot those out first. And then you integrate some non-negotiables, sleep, a little bit of downtime for yourself, social life, down, etc. Time to fuel and, and uh, eat properly, etc., etc. And then what you have at the end is X number of hours to train. Let's say it's 10 hours. Now what you've got is an optimization challenge. With those 10 hours, how do I optimize my return? You don't have 20, you have 10. And that's the starting point of how you go about it. And it's the only way. Now I will say then, life and ebbs and flows so if life ebbs a little bit, then your capacity for training can increase. If it flows, and then the structure of the training week is set so that you can retain specificity and do a really good seven hours that's effective, which is better than doing 11 hours and going underwater proverbially. Oh, okay. Lo love that. <laughs> um, actually, practical question on the note of swimming. Um, Obviously, with COVID, a ton of pools have closed. Even now, uh, you know, where we are, pools are open very limited hours. They're, you know, super busy. Do you have any, like, practical tips for someone doing a swim workout, like, within, you know, sort of, like, these weird tiny hour chunks and also, like, when they're sharing a lane with somehow, like, eight people? Um, yeah, practical tips for dealing with the pool because I personally am having this right now. <laughs> really challenging, obviously. Um it, the, the interesting thing about the sport globally is most triathletes don't have that many hours to train in swimming. It's logistically challenging, uh, as you just mentioned, and I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but also just going to the pool, it, it's a hassle, much more of a hassle than putting on a pair of shoes and, and going for a run. So you have that. You've also got a mindset in swimming that triathletes think, why do I bother with swimming? Because it's so hard to improve. I'm going to swim four times a week and I'm only going to gain 30 seconds. I can run four times a week and gain 10 minutes. So let me address that first because that's, that's a fallacy. Swimming is really, really important in triathlon 
not just to try and get a little bit of an incremental gain. In fact, I wouldn't even argue that's that critical. You can improve so much in adult onset swimmer, it's more challenging. But it has a huge impact. It has a great cross-pollination effect from a cardiovascular conditioning standpoint into your bike and run. And in fact, if you're doing a triathlon, most triathletes suffer in the run portion but it's typically because of what has happened before, their lack of fitness in swimming, their lack of fitness in biking, their poor pacing, their poor fueling and hydration, that then they show up to their run and they can't express their run fitness. So I like triathletes to be swim fit. Then it comes to your question, but it's challenging logistically, particularly now. And so how do we cross that bridge? Well, again, you've got an optimization challenge. A lot of triathletes, I love triathlete swimmers to swim in a group if possible because it's pretty darn boring swimming up and down looking at a black line. Uh, I say that as a swimmer. Uh, I think it's, and it's also pretty low yield. Swimming is one of those sports where a little bit of challenge, even at a loss of specificity, is really good. Mm -hmm. There's also a limited return on investment to athletes being too focused on technique. So there's no point going to the pool and drilling your way to glory because any improvement in technique is not going to hold if you're not, if you don't have the fitness to hold that technique. So you need to be, we always call it FAF, which is fit as the F word. You better be FAF in order to carry your technique. And so we don't like swimmers for whatever time they have. You meant, you know, a 30 minute slot here, a 45 minute slot here. With that time, do enough technique work to improve your technique as much as you can, but then do the training that's going to give you the biggest yield possible. And that tends to be a lot of short intervals, a lot of fast intervals, because the other side of it that's low yield is just swimming up and down the pool at a slow pace. You might as well just go home and pet your cat. You know, it's not giving, it's giving you a very low yield. And so high intensity, hard swimming with the one, two or three swims a week until you start to be a pro or a, a, a not time staffed amateur where you can swim four, five, six times a week, intensity is the cue. Mm -hmm. I like that. I also like the idea of going with other people because that way you can kind of claim your lane and you have the people in it that are going to swim with you and you're not going to get stuck with the like, you know, aqua jogger that's somehow in your lane and like the guy with the kickboard yeah. and the person backstroking into you, all of which has happened to me in the past two weeks. <laughs> there you go. I bet. Yeah. And it makes it so much, by the way, if you do it with others, it makes it so much more fun and it's I think community and connectivity is a really important part of training mm -hmm. and um, the big picture and, you know, it's it, it doing everything. You, you won't, you'll get a bigger yield from your swimming sessions if you're doing it with others and you're challenging, you've got high accountability. It's also going to be more fun. If you, if you have more fun, you'll also improve more. Mm -hmm. Plus then your friends also have the silly goggle marks afterwards. So exactly. <laughs> Uh, okay, so if someone is doing this, you know, 10, 10 hours a week, say for training for their Ironman, and then they, they get to the start line and, you know, it's all easy to say like, oh, my 10 hours feel good as you're training, but then you get to, you know, you're walking around the Ironman village and you're seeing all the people with their Ironman tattoos and, you know, you're seeing the pros and stuff and you're starting to think like, oh God, I didn't train enough. Um, do you have any tips for feeling more confident on race day with that training that you've done? Yeah, well, to, to give you uh, some context of this, you know, the, the, the last four athletes that we have had over the last years that have been on the podium of their age group or won their age group at the Hawaii Ironman have all trained less than 14 hours a week on a regular schedule. Um, the last guy that won, the last two uh, athletes that won were CEOs really busy CEOs. And, um, and so it is now, now all of these, all, all people that I mentioned there were physiologically gifted. Um, Sami Inkanen has the, 
His nickname is, is Sami the Bull because he has lungs the size of a bull. And so it's the message isn't you can go under nine hours in Hawaii like Sami did on a recipe of nine or ten hours a week. The message is that relative to your own potential, you are going to get the best return doing the program that is appropriate for you in the context of everything you have else in life. If Sami wasn't leading a tech company using a little case study, I would have trained him 16, 18, 20, 24 hours a week. But if I had have done that, he would have shown up fit and fatigued. And so I think that as an, as an athlete, knowing that you've done what is right for you, arriving from healthy from a systemic vibrancy standpoint as well as a tissue standpoint, that's confidence building. And your then goal is to do the best effort that you can with a big smile on your face, controlling what you can control and be really happy with your performance within the context of what you had in the rest of your life. And if you do that, it's quite liberating. And knowing that the chances are, remember that the majority of triathletes that are showing up to an Ironman are showing up fit and fatigued. And they show up, and you see it every year at the Hawaii Ironman, folks that have those tattoos that look like skinned rabbits and are walking at mile eight of the marathon. And so I think that putting a pair of, like in horse racing, they have the blinders or the blinkers, where you're having that on and just grounding yourself on, I've done everything that I can do to get myself ready for my best performance within the context of my life. Mm-hmm. And, and and that comes a little bit to, to purpose in a way. It's like, why are you doing it in the first place? Are you doing it to validate it for something external? Is it a pass-fail test? Or is it a great challenge that provides pride and satisfaction and is actually enjoyable? And and when you have that context, it's uh, it can be liberating a little bit. Mm-hmm. It, it enables you to actually enjoy the race. Yeah. And you just mentioned, uh, purpose. And I think that's, that's one of your big things that you talk about a lot is this idea of purpose. And it's kind of to speak a little bit about the idea of purpose versus goals. Are they the same? Are they different? How do they work together? Talk to me. Yeah, they, they work in parallel. I think, uh, the, the, the goals emerge in many ways from, from, from purpose. Purpose is a much more powerful thing. Uh, and if you really understand your why, why are you doing this? What are you looking to get out of it? This journey, this performance journey, whatever sport you're in, it can actually be really liberating, but it's also the driver that's going to get you through the tough times, the drop of motivation, the adversity that you meet. Goals are something to point the program to, they are stepping stones to your purpose. So let me give you a, a non-athletic uh, example. Imagine if um, you have a, uh, a type two diabetic and one of their goals will be to get themselves off of insulin. So they're, they're overweight, they're reliant on insulin and okay, I, I wanna get off insulin and that, that's a goal. And it's objective, by the way, you're either having to have daily injections and utilizing it or you're not. I want to also, as a goal, I want to lose 30 pounds, which I have to, to help my blood sugar go down, etc. get me off. Okay, so those are goals, great. But the purpose for something like that, the thing that's actually gonna drive when they have to make a decision around their eating or their exercise or their recovery and everything else might be something like, I'm actually at this point where I've got a 10 year old kid and I wanna see them graduate. And when they're in high school, I wanna be throwing a ball with them, not watching from a side in the wheelchair. That's purpose and that's really important. And so that can be expressed, it's very, very personal, but it's, it's worthy of some reflection. Because on this journey, you, you, you or we are going to have to navigate setbacks, failure, uh, injuries quite often, you know, hopefully not injuries that happen often, but quite often people will get faced with it. All these things that pull us off of course, and in the short term can, can even actually 
harm short-term goals. And in fact, life thinks I've signed up for Ironman X, Y, and Z. Well, suddenly now I've got a business meeting, I can't go. So now I'm goalless. But if underlying that, it's I want to I want to see what I, I, I want to challenge myself to be the best version of myself I can be. I want to be the best leader of my business. I want to show up and be present with my family and my kids. And if you're using your sport and your journey, that's much more powerful. So this is a critical journey that I'm going on to help me performing life. Oh, and by the way, I also want to make it up. Podium, finish an Ironman, qualify to the Hawaii Ironman, win the Hawaii Ironman, none of that, that's all up to you. And that's a great thing, but the purpose is more powerful. Hmm. Now, do you have any practical tips for how someone can kind of like come come to terms with what their purpose is? Because I know this is, people hear this and they get really excited and it feels really good. And then they start thinking, they're like, oh God, I don't have a purpose. Um, where do you start? Is there like a journaling prompt or something like that that you can kind of suggest to, to help our people find their purpose or define it maybe a little bit more clearly? Yeah, I think there's, so, so I'll answer it in two ways and, and I'll, I'll say this first. And if you go into a, um, if you go into an executive team of, uh, in business and you say, tell me what are the most important things to you? And, uh, and they rattle off 10 things. You say, no, 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 you can't have 10 things that are important to you. I'm talking about the most important thing. And typically they'll say, you know, my family is really important to me and my health is really important to me. And that's all very nice. But then you say, okay, now let's dive down. What are you actually doing that's actionable? So let, tell me about your family. So where is that on your calendar? How is that actually integrated into your life? How are you showing up to your family? And they suddenly, oh, so hang on, the thing that's really important to you that you say is my top five thing in my life, as I look at your life structure, I don't see that expressed. I don't see it prioritized. And so taking that then to an athletic side with, with your purpose, there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, Molly, you, you say to me, I've signed up for an Ironman, you should do it. And come on, do it. And I was like, I could never do one of those. I, you know, I, I couldn't do one of those. And then you, you persuade me, come on, let's do it. All right. So I sign up for Ironman Montremblant, uh, a lovely race so over in uh, Quebec. And I do it. There's nothing wrong with having that experience first, but it is worth, you don't have to come with it with some grandiose thing. You know, it's not like I am doing this because I want to cure cancer. That's not what it's about. It can be something really personal, but as you do it, say, what actually defines success here? What will actually make me happy? I'm going to get a lot of satisfaction from finishing, but what do I actually want out of this? And it can be an iterative journey. And so I would actually keep it quite simple to begin, and but hold perspective, because that can help your decision-making. Because if we use our case study, Molly has, and I was silly enough to listen to Molly, I signed Why up for this race. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I'm really busy and my family is really important to me. So I say, hang on, I want to do this, but I want to do it for myself. But, but I hope that Baxter, my nine-year-old, can watch me do this and realize that health's really important. So I'm going to share the journey with him. But when I train for this, I, I'm also running Purple Patch. So I'm going to... That's that's non-negotiable. That's my company. I'm going to run that. I also want to make sure that I'm not gone all weekend. So, so suddenly, like, I want to be present with my family. That's important. And that's how the decision-making and the empowerment of I'm not just going to listen to Coach Johnny's advice that I've got to be gone for seven hours every Saturday to go and do a bike ride when I never see Baxter on the weekend, et cetera, et cetera. So I think... I, I would simplify it a little bit and not try and solve the world, but at least understand, go, as you go on the journey, start to ground yourself in what you're trying to get out of it. Mm -hmm. I really like that. And I think that actually really helps with this next thing I wanted to talk to you about is this idea of, uh, of goal creep, I'm going to call it, and I'm super guilty of it. I know a lot of people, a lot of people I know are super guilty of this. And I think what you just said actually really helps maybe put a different lens on on this like, right now it feels like everyone has to keep doing 
bigger and bigger. Like we can't do a sprint triathlon. We have to do an Ironman. I can't just run a trail marathon. I need to go do a hundred miler um, and mm. so on and so forth. And again, very guilty of this, um, but I also don't have, don't have kids. So for me, you know, yeah. some of these bigger commitments actually do, they do work with my life, but I think they, they don't work for a lot of people. So, I mean, how do, how do you kind of talk about this idea of like choosing goals that fit with your purpose, like within the, using your purpose as maybe the lens for choosing the, the goal races and not letting them get out of hand? Well, well, first we need to try and erase, which is easier said than done, the obligation of goals. Like, so goal creep of, I feel like I've got to do it other, my, otherwise my goal isn't worthy. And um, one of the athletes, one of my favorite athletes I've ever coached is a woman called Marina. When she met her, she couldn't walk up a flight of stairs. And she's now finished a half Ironman distance seven years later. She's lost 100 pounds. That is a, a huge component. I, I have no reason to, Marina should have no reason to think that she has to go and do an Ironman. Why? She has succeeded more than the vast majority of us ever will in our life. She has done something remarkable for herself, and it's built out her happiness, her energy, her productivity, her health. She's won. And so goal creep is an obligation. We need to stamp on it. And people are always going to, you know, it's. I feel like I, I'm sort of talking to my nine-year-old, but people are always going to say nasty things about it, and you're always going to feel like you have to do X, Y, Z. You don't. Just do stuff that's happy. That's number one. But from a more from a more practical lens, a lot of it comes to timing as well. And so I think it's great. We have a whole thing, BHAGs, you know, go and do your big, hairy, audacious goal, something that's really challenging, that's a little scary, that's a great thing to do, and it can be ambitious, and it can be big. In fact, I'm I'm doing something for that for myself this year. I'm I'm, I'm actually doing a signed up to train and and uh, in my time staff life for the Alt Route, a seven day bike race through um, the Alps in France, and um, that that's pretty challenging for me. I'm gonna go, but I'm gonna go and do it. And I'm excited. But I, want, I was going to do that three years ago. It didn't fit within the context of my life. And so I think that you can have a dream, but you don't have to do it now. People think, oh, I'm going to do an Ironman. Why this year? How about you really do sustainable performance? You find your recipe, and then you do it when your kids are maybe at a great age, you know, a better age. My son's almost 10 now, so it's a little bit more fluidity rather than when he's six you've got a little bit more hands-on and that side of stuff and work is a bit more sustainable etc so making sure that you're putting your big ambitious goals within context of your life and then the last thing I'd say just very briefly is ensuring that if you are going to take on a big goal you're doing it in collaboration and communication with the other key constituents in your life so it takes planning and it takes a little bit of give and take, and it takes threading the needle. And, and I think so many people, I'm going to do this, so therefore I'm gone every Saturday from 7 a.m. till midday. Well, how's that fair? <laughs> so, and that comes with a lot of how you build the program for athletes, how we integrate, etc. cetera. But, um, but as, a, as a goal standard, you know, getting your key partners, boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever it is, in partnership and making sure that you are giving as much as taking is the only way to make it successful. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I mean, I think the, the other thing is like, it's also okay to stop at a certain distance. Like maybe you never want to go longer than an Olympic triathlon. Maybe you want to go faster yeah. in the Olympic triathlon. I feel like we've, and maybe this is just like the endurance sport world in general, but it feels like, especially in running right now, like it's all, and again, guilty, uh, longer 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 instead of yes but could you do this one faster yeah and I, I i we have a lot of athletes that just absolutely love sprint triathlons and olympic triathlons but then a lot of them say i'm going to try a gravel race that sounds fun and that's great i think that there should be no in intrinsic pressure to keep going longer 
if you want to, that's great. And on top of it, you shouldn't have intrinsic pressure, pressure to stay down one vertical. So I think it's really healthy to say, I'm gonna go and do a trail race, and I'm gonna go and do a mountain bike adventure, and I'm gonna go and do a triathlon. And all of it fits into what I would label a multi-sport lifestyle that's really healthy. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, when we, when we talk about purple patch athletes, it all comes back to, I think it comes back to, to this key point, which is, I think a lot of coaches and coaching companies promote whatever your goal is we'll get you ready and we'll make sure that you pr and that's nice but i think as a purple patch athlete you come and you 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 ultimately are only a fit with purple patch if you are synchronized in mindset to say look yes we want you to thrive and improve in your sport whatever your goals are but not at the expense of your health your performance in work and how you show up with your family and friends, those important things. That's number one. And in fact, by chasing these goals, you should, if you get your recipe right, amplify your health, show up better for your family, be more present, and obviously become a more effective uh, person in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And then actually, ironically, the sporting goals become pretty easy. So if you've got time to go and do alt route or a 100 mile trail running race, great but do it within the context of your life mm-hmm. oh i love it uh, okay and you've you've been doing this for a very long time as previously stated now i'm super curious is there anything that you used to believe or any way that you used to coach or i mean you mentioned your own training uh that you know you used to really like this is obviously the way we have to do this that you have since uh changed your mind on because i actually do think like the the mark of a good coach to me is actually someone who does change their mind on stuff because it means they're actually open to the new, you know, science and new ideas and, you know, just are constantly learning. So yeah. What, yes, what have you learned? Well, as soon as I think I've got it work all worked out, that will be time for me to retire. Um, mm-hmm. There hasn't been a single year in the 15 years of purple patch that, as we plan out the season of training and, and the methodology, it hasn't evolved uh, pretty dramatically. It's grown year on year, it's evolved, and sometimes pulled back ideas that we thought, no, that wasn't the right idea, and it was. I, I will give you a really specific one, which I think is really interesting, because I was um, chatting to a good friend of mine, Andy Blow, who is the founder of Precision Hydration, Precision Fuel and Hydration. Yeah, we've actually had him on the podcast. He's great. Oh, there you go. So so Andy and I are very good friends. We have a lot of shared respect. And uh, and we actually just did a, um, a webinar together uh, that, was, uh, that was terrific. But we were laughing about this because if you went back six or seven, 10 years ago, and you asked me around advice for fueling for an Ironman, I would say, okay, you, I would have said, try and slide under the radar, minimize your intake of calories so that you can um, minimize your risk of GI distress. So you want to eat just enough to get through the demands of your race. There's been a seismic shift in our understanding of a capacity to absorb, both in terms of um, from research, but also most importantly, applied observation of what people are doing on the course. And, And it's completely evolved, where now, my advice is polar opposite. You need to find the right recipe, pardon the pun. You need to train your gut and you want to maximize your absorption and the amount of calories that you can take in over the course of the bike and run, and it will yield greater performance. And so eight years ago, under my guidance, you might've been taking in 30, 40, 50, up to 60 grams of carbohydrate in an hour on the bike. Now. You're taking in 50, 60, 70, 80. Some of my athletes are taking in 120 grams of carbohydrate and absorbing and yielding positive results. So that's a that's a key evolution. If you don't surround yourself with people that are smarter, you don't observe your athletes, you don't keep an ath- a mindset of growth and evolution, you're going to become stale. So you've mm-hmm. always got to, at any discipline, as an athlete, as a coach, you've got to keep learning. It keeps it more interesting as well. Mm-hmm. I love it. Okay. And then what's one thing that has 
just been the same since you started or you've maintained since like not quite since you started but like what's one thing that's been pretty constant the whole time I'll, I'll tell you the thing right from the start uh that was our we, I, I started purple patch to try and right a wrong I, uh, I I was on a plane with my wife Kelly and uh, she said what what do you want to achieve with the company and I I sort of perhaps egotistically said I want to evolve the way that endurance sports were coached and that sounds really grandiose but but what I was really saying there was there was massive underperformance from people showing up fit and fatigued. And I believed at my core that if people, the way I say this, if people can create a, a recipe for themselves where they have a smart endurance training program that can be applied consistently, that has integrated strength and conditioning, has a backbone of really simple but important habits in fueling and nutrition, and is all supported with enough recovery and sleep. If you can get that recipe right, those four pillars that we call the four purple patch pillars of performance just for education, if you get that right, a simple thing happens. And that's that the person from world champion, world light level, all the way down to someone that's just a contemplator or a fitness enthusiast, they accelerate, they improve. And so from our pros to someone that is just thinking i could never i have no interest let alone I, I could never get on a start line that central tenant of getting those three things a holistic mindset i'm not a fan of that word but a, a, a broader mindset of what performance is i'll go to my grave on that one and uh and and, and i'll put the stake in the ground and say it's right if you if you are only thinking about things in a mutually exclusive way if you're obsessing about accumulating hours and miles and compromising sleep, you will not perform over the long term. I don't care who you are. And that's why they call you the recovery coach. <laughs> that's the label. <laughs> oh, amazing. Well, this has been just such a pleasure getting to chat with you. Can you let everyone know where they can find you on the interwebs? On the interwebs, of course, all these modern things, interwebs. No, uh, our um, website is purplepatchfitness.com. And uh, Instagram is a good one to follow us on. We do a lot of education on that, which is at purplepatchfitness. I will say that we have a, a great educational newsletter that we do every week. It's pretty much purely education. You can just do that up through the um, through the website. And then if people want to ask questions, they want to reach out and uh and have uh, any advice that we can give them around their performance, it's very simple. It's just info at purplepatchfitness.com. And uh, anyone that pings an email through there via this podcast, well, I'll make sure that I answer personally. So we'll, uh, we'll, take, it, we'll take it from there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Matt. It was, it was so great. Uh, yeah. Getting to chat with you and talk about all of, all of like my favorite topics here. <laughs> so thank you. It's fantastic. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this or any of our past episodes, do us a solid and leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts and check out our book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete, over at consummateathlete.com. Questions or comments? Find us over on Instagram at consummateathlete and we will see you next week.